Welcome to The Honest Pour with John Lennart, where we go beyond the bottle to connect you with the people and places that make each wine so unique. The DeMarchi family purchased the estates of Isla and Olina in the 1950s. Over the next decade, the sharecropping system, which dominated Italy's agricultural industry, slowly came to an end. People left the country in search of other opportunities. Over time, the populations of these two estates has shrunk by over 90%. In fact, today, Elena only has two full-time residents. The vineyards in the valley between these two hilltop hamlets still belong to the DeMarchi family and are helmed by Paolo DeMarchi. Paolo is a passionate farmer who cares deeply about expressing place in his wines. I met with Paolo to talk about how farming has changed in the years since his family purchased these estates, what makes Chianti Classico from Barbarino Tavernelli unique, and of course to taste some delicious wines. This special episode of The Honest Pour is brought to you in part by the Consorzio Vino Chianti Classico and by Foodator.com, bringing you the stories of Chicago chefs, restaurants, and people who make food all over town. Foodator.com. Hi, welcome to The Honest Pour. I'm John Lennart. Joining me today is Paolo De Marchi of Isla Elena. We're doing a very special series of shows from Chianti Classico, and today we're up here at his winery in Barbarino Tavernale. Welcome to the show. It's so good to meet you. Good to meet you as well. We talk to a lot of people, we interview different winemakers whose families have been in the area for hundreds of years and generations and generations. That's not what your story is here in Chianti Classico. Tell me yours. I'm the new, the new kid in town. <laughs> and I was very much so in the 70s when I came here. You came from where? I came from Piemonte. My family is from Piedmont, the northwest of Italy. And uh, wine was in the family, not really as a, as a business, uh, but was, wine was in the family. We have a, a small vineyard in the north of Piemonte. Uh, uh, in an area which was abandoned uh, uh, when Philoxera arrived. It was a time of uh, industrial development, uh, very powerful textile industry, and most people abandoned the vineyard. So did my family after World War II. So they tried to keep going. And my father had the opportunity to buy Isolina in 1956. So being uh, an outsider, we are, uh, my family is one of the very first uh, outsiders in uh, Chianti. Why Chianti? Why did you move here? Because he knew the old owners and uh, they wanted to sell. My father was a little disappointed that the family didn't want to go on in Piemonte. They sp split things in the family and uh, the people he knew wanted to sell. Uh, he came here. And then it's easy. <laughs> you see that if you come here, uh, it is easy to get in love. With it sure is. It's a stunning views <laughs> here from the from the tasting room. How did you get involved with wine as a profession? I mean, you say you had a little bit of wine you produced when your family was up north, but how did you get involved as a profession? Sometimes, uh, sometimes nature goes uh, its way without explaining why. I guess. <laughs> It's something, I knew, it's something I knew since I was a kid. I always knew I would have been involved in agriculture. In agriculture. This was, uh, and uh, within agriculture, wine uh, was uh, something which attracted me, probably because of the family heritage, 
when I was a kid, we were spending uh, summer time uh, in the old house where my grandmother was living. There was this uh, beautiful old uh, cellar underground, uh, which was abandoned and not working anymore, very dark. And I remember every summer I was trying to go deeper and deeper in the cellar. <laughs> and, uh, and then I was coming back to the surface and I was seeding uh, beans. Beans grow up very fast, I, I had been told. So I was trying to stay there and see them growing. And then finally my grandmother told me, they are very tricky. If you, if you look at them, they never grow. <laughs> if you don't go for two days, you see that they grow. So don't go there. And, and uh, um, when I was given a gift of a little toy cars, I was kind of crying because I wanted tractor toys. Uh, you were a tractor, not a car. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, I was not... Uh, obviously not drinking wine. I've always been attracted by the old label we had in the old house. Uh, then I started to design my wine label. Really? <laughs> yeah. So, and then uh, I studied agricultural sciences at the University of Torino. And, uh, and wine became very clear because it is uh, farming, it's, I think too often the drinkers forget that it is farming. We are fruit growers. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful when we get fruit, but then we immediately destroy the fruit we do, and we do something which is completely different mentally. Fermentation, we transform things, but then we follow, we age, we label, we pack, and then we sell. And then when I started to do this job, uh, I, you know, I started traveling with my bottles and to, to meet the consumer. How often a producer in a small scale meets the final consumer of a production? Not with apple, not with the wheat, not with, uh, with wine. You meet the people who, who, who keep you alive. And if they are happy, they come and visit here. I call it the cycle of the origin. We, we try to make a product which reflects the place. We travel the world to sell it and the people come and see where it comes from. And then they get catched. So it's, uh, <laughs> you, you say your small production. What is the production? Um, in Chianti Classico, I might say a medium size. In the wine world, it's a small production. We, we are in the, in the area of the 20,000 cases. 20,000 uh, cases, yes. so yeah. So it's, uh, Not really even very big for Chianti Classico, huh? It, it's a medium size estate. Uh, it's, it's not a big production. We strictly, since the very beginning, we do not buy any grape because I'm interested only grow. in the, what comes from here. I don't want to become a, a processor and bottle and increase the numbers. This is, I don't know how, but it's been. You're really, a farmer. You want to farm yeah, exactly. Girlfriend. This is probably what, what came since the beginning from inside. I want to make my, I had to put a limit to my market. My market is the wine I produce. And I think, in fact, has been a huge help to my, to, to the development of my market because I, I, I don't need to sell numbers. Sure. Are all of your, Vineyards within Barberino Tavernale, or do you have outside? It is everything in Barberino Tavernale. It's actually one, uh, one, uh, the estate contiguous is estate, contiguous. Huh? It's, uh, it's a lot of land. It's 320 hectares. Total which land. Is probably 800 acres. Yeah. But as you see, 
the beauty of Chianti Classico, the high hills, this forest, uh, with um, uh, uh, potentially 56 hectares. 56, oh, so not uh, much at all. At the moment is uh, 53 on the ground because we are replanting and it is by far more than I need. Uh-huh. And I'm happy with the size and probably, yes, you're right, we're not so big. In a global, in a global wine world, we are becoming smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a very good size. We are able to control uh, with the family, and uh, yeah. no, I'm happy. It's, um, the farming is changed. I'm from Piedmont. I'm, in Piedmont, I'm used to much uh, smaller size. So yeah, Piedmont is uh, right, smaller so even. Uh, the farming here has changed a lot since you got here. You've done a lot of replanting and uh, probably got rid of some things and changed some things. Tell me about how. How that farming has changed since your family started here to today? Is, uh, this is the key to understand Chianti, in fact. <laughs> when my father bought the estate, it was in the darkest medieval uh, economy. <laughs> Not darkest, because I think there was a lot of light. It was uh, when my father bought the estate, uh, lived uh, about 130 people uh, farming land for food. It is the system which was called uh, sharecropping. Yeah. So a, a, a good size estate was divided into units called the podere. There are labels, mm-hmm. podere with the name. Uh, this remind of the old uh, organization of a fattoria. Fattoria doesn't mean factory. It was the estate run with the sharecropping contract. Right. So the predatory uh, so the, made up the, the podere was given uh, to a family of sharecroppers right. and they were mixed farming. No mechanization, everything done by hand. There were more hands than land. And uh, actually making a very smart use of the soil because they, a typical podere in this area, a typical unit was about uh, five to seven hectares. So 13 to 20 acres yeah, yeah. of uh, farming land. Um, and they were actually multiplying the land by going by layers. Mm-hmm. So they had like five hectares of wheat and field crops. With the wheat, they were seeding uh, clover. So in June, after I cut the wheat, after two weeks, it was green grass for the animals. The vines were growing high on the trees, so they were not disturbing the wheat. And between the vines, every four or five, it was a maple tree trained uh, with branches and the vines around. So three or four of these uh, maple uh, vines. That when you moved to this estate, it was beautiful vines or trellis like that? Uh-huh. Wow. It was all like that. And then in between the olives, and then uh, higher trees like almonds and these things. And uh, was in such a balance that the system had not changed in 600 years. It didn't have to. It had everything it needed to live. Yeah. And there was no money in the system, very, not very little money in the system. And then in the 60s, the system collapsed because of the quick and huge industrial development of Italy. And also because of uh, sharecropping was also a social structure, the family. The family was patriarchal. So all living together. If your great-grandfather was still alive, he was the only one to decide about uh, everything, about money. Now in the 60s, uh, the 60s of uh, te- uh, of television, uh, mm-hmm. of uh, of the Beatles, mm-hmm. of uh, the miniskirt, uh, of uh, the sure, sexual society, uh, wasn't. Uh, and with the television, 
was a, this, imagine the same impact of internet now, but uh, people here could finally see what was happening in Florence. And uh, the fam patriarchal family collapsed because mm. the young people left. Mm. And uh, here, that is only an example of what has happened in, in the region, specifically in Chianti. So you, in you, five you, years, from 130 people leaving and farming with the sharecropping contract, five years late, five years later, there were only 14 people left in the country. 14 people. The estate. It was 500 people on this estate. No, in, on oh, the estate, the 100, 130 yes. in the estate. Wow. But in five years, from 130 farming by hand, 14 people who could not farm the land no, because no. there was no, no, no mechanization and there, were, there was no capital in the system. Sure. And this is, uh, when I said, is the key to understand Chianti because uh, even the landscape has changed. Because imagine the landscape of this mixed the, farming right. and the landscape of the vineyards. The vineyards are actually very new in Chianti. Yeah, where only, you see that patchwork of row of vines. Yeah, there were only few real vineyards in Chianti. So it's a very old wine region. At the same time, it's a very new wine region because when you change the system, when there's such a huge social change, uh, this is a whole factor which uh, produced the wine. Wine is produced by the soil, but it's produced by the variety, but it's also produced by, by man. So the big change was in the late 60s, early 70s, because when there was this collapse, Europe made a five years program to modernize Chianti. So money came in the system. At the same time was the new appellation rules, 1967. The appellation rules, the first appellation rules were written looking at the past. Mm -hmm. So a lot of white grapes in the blend. Uh, and uh, at the same time, the land abandoned the appellation rules the money from Europe. And a lot of the old owners sold the estates because uh, they didn't want to go through the change, uh, whatever. So new people, which means a cut with the past. The speed required by the European uh, funds uh, made uh, the consequence that uh, no time to select Sangiovese, very big demand to the nurseries, and the vineyards have been planted all the same uh, uh, design, very low density of plantation, very vigorous rootstock, big machinery because there was money in the system and the, the, all the old system of terraces and organization with soil has been destroyed. So those vineyards created a lot of problems, a lot of white grapes, so the wines was uh, in the 70s, production was 100% young, young vineyards. Mm -hmm. Staying within the frame of the appellation was uh, impossible to produce quality. So our major winery, which I respect a lot, Antinorija, I don't know if I'm okay. supposed That's to okay. give a name, but it is such an important wine, Tignanello, was uh, first vintage was 71, mm -hmm. it was uh, produced during, was a th thought, invented during the years of the big replanting. So it means that they immediately understood that what was happening would not have produced the quality which we needed. And in fact, when the program was finished and all the new vineyards started to produce, the quantity boomed and the market collapsed in 1974. At the same year, uh, Tignanello, first Tignanello was released in the market. Mm. The price Terrible of time for one that. bottle was over over one case of uh, yeah. normal price, right. Chianti Classico. Was, uh, uh, 
So this generated all the movement of the not local varieties. Uh, everything has a sense. It would be too long to explain everything, but uh, everything originates that and from uh, is originated by in that uh, that period. And then in the eighties and the nineties, uh, uh, we realized the problem. Uh, and finally, the nineties, we started to replant the vineyards. Actually, my new vineyard. Get rid of all the white varieties. Yeah, yeah. The finally. It, also, the appellation rules have been changed a few times. A lot of work. Uh, I started to replant in 1987, which means that I started to pull out vineyards, which were not even 20 years old, right. and to replant. But uh, uh, if we think, uh, one work one is to replant, but the big work is what we do before replanting <laughs> because we did a lot of work in selecting mm -hmm. our own massal selection we are now using only our material uh, we did a lot of work on the spacing and the density of plantation uh, on the training of the vines and after a couple of years in 89 when I was already planting our association the Gallo Nero uh, started a project called the Chianti Classico 2000s. So, mm -hmm. a group of estates, I think it was like 12 estates in the first, uh, the beginners and then uh, others were added, uh, to plant the vineyards under the control of the university to check, uh, again, genetic, uh, rootstocks, uh, training systems, soil management, the density of plantation, all these things. And uh, in the 90s, finally started uh, the major replantings in Chianti. Now Chianti has a, a very good quality in the vineyards. Uh, there are still a lot of vineyards which are fairly young, but uh, uh, it means that uh, the huge steps we did are just the beginning just of the beginning bigger of steps. Right. I'm extremely optimistic uh, uh, in the potential for the future. I'm going around to wineries in all the different areas of Chianti Classico. I'm interested in knowing what Chianti Classico from Barberino Tavernelli is. What, what, what makes it different than, yes. than Gialla or Castellina? Thank you for the question. You know, in Chianti Classico, we are, now it's very hot to talk about the subzones. Uh, every subzone uh, has... Uh, created an association of the winner. Barberino Tavarnelle, which until a few months ago were two different communes right. that have been united recently, uh, uh, communes which are partially outside the Chianti Classico and uh, partially inside the Chianti Classico. Um, in, in this area, there is a, a very nice, uh, beautiful uh, medieval village, which is called the San Donato, San Donato in Poggio, which means uh, San Donato on the hill. And we decided uh, um, to give the name of this uh, subzone uh, San Donato in Poggio, because San Donato is within the part of the commune, which is uh, in the Chianti Classico area. Now, um, it would be nice to go on the terrace. This is... Uh, the western side of Chianti Classico, uh, with the elevation that goes up. We have a vineyard up to 500 meters of elevation, so it's not the highest elevation, but it is, it is among, the, among the high elevations in Chianti. But it is extremely open, 
and it is uh, the side of Chianti which still gets the influence of the Mediterranean. <laughs> Always a nice breeze. Uh, so in, in winter time, this area is a little warmer than the valley inside. Oh, okay. Two years ago, there has been a huge problem with um, late frost, mm-hmm. big damages in, in the valley inside, in inland in Chianti, and we got uh, two Celsius above zero, and we had no problem with frost. So this is really an indication of a little milder climate in winter time. And then in summertime is again a little milder. So uh, the valley more inland become very hot. And here is always the breeze. The evening is very, very fresh, uh, cool. So that uh, probably gives you an early bud break and a late harvest. That's exactly. Which is longer, a good thing. longer hanging time, yeah, which is a very good thing. Uh, from this area, uh, I like to think uh, of uh, wines which uh, are not. Uh, Maybe the big uh, structure, but the beautiful finesse, prettier, uh, finesse and balance uh, and length. Uh, and on the winemaking side, I consider uh, the problem of Sangiovese is a, a variety which has a, a vibrant acidity, which could easily be in excess. Yeah, oh yeah. And uh, tannins, it's quite tannic variety with tannins which could be easily green and astringent. So acidity and astringent tannins could be, could be the problem. It requires a very well-thought viticulture and also uh, the ability to stay calm and wait. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mother Nature will decide if uh, it is a long uh, uh, fall or not. And sometimes we get problems. But uh, this area kind of uh, helps. Um, um, I'm not from here. Uh, my first vintage was 76. The one I was responsible of the estate uh, was difficult. Was uh, I, I call it one. was the was was the welcome of Chianti to the younger Piedmontese. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I made a wine, uh, I, and I was showing to the neighbors which I got to know say, what's this wine? And the answer was usually, ah, it's such a difficult vintage, you did well. I say, I did well, this wine is undrinkable. And uh, uh, something which stuck here. I, I said, I remember saying, it is a, this wine is a lemonade in a, in a sandpaper glass. <laughs> <laughs> this was the, this was I felt extremely acid and extremely good, and uh, I think this is, has been my guideline in the work I did in viticulture because it is so easy. When a fruit, when I said we are first of all we are fruit grower, when a fruit is very acid and astringent, hard to make good wine. No, it means that it is not ripe. So uh, there is a viticulture problem, and there was a viticulture problem. Now with the new vineyard, all Chianti is, uh, is doing much better because the new vineyards produce uh, better fruit. Unfortunately, now we put on top of this uh, a changing climate, which is uh, yeah, yeah. helped us, Warmer. but is not welcome. Right, right. <laughs> Help us a lot, but now we have the other problem, which uh, we get a better, better acidity, sure. we get better tannins, the wines are magnificent. We have to be very careful with the alcohol, which right. goes up, and this is a problem we are working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yes, of course. Okay. It's nature is nature. But, uh, so this area, San Donato, is, um, we love it. Uh, windy. Sometimes the wind is a problem. Uh, I want just to complete. Because uh, um, once every few years, it could be during the last period of ripeness, uh, maybe strong wind from the southwest, very warm, and we get uh, dehydration. But uh, uh, it happens once every many, many years. I had sure. a big problem in 2011. Uh, we had to great wine regions have wind, the yes. Vistrale. And we had Rome. to select. Uh, we lost 20% of the grapes in the vineyards because they were drying off. But uh, otherwise, I'm extremely happy to be here. Great. Should we taste some wine? We start uh, from the Chianti Classico. This is 2016. 2016 was good vintage. It's a vintage I really like. Um, about my Chianti Classico vintage, since, uh, since ever, uh, I like to use Canaiolo as well. So the other variety. So my Chianti Classico has never been 100% Sangiovese. Right. Uh, there is now always about uh, 15% Canaiolo in the blend. There's a, there's a real pretty fruit to this wine. There's nice light red berries. Red berries. Uh, I love Chianti. It has the cherries. It the has cherry, a, yeah. And uh, is uh, after making wine here for many years, it's so easy if I think of the vintage to recognize the vintage uh, because of the, of the cherry. A cold vintage would be a sour cherry. Mm-hmm. A nice, but uh, vintage on the cool side would be red, like a, red cherry. Like a red cherry, warmer cherry, one, we have yeah. a black cherry. Right. And when it is uh, even 2011, which was so hot at the end, dry of the, cherry of the, then, huh? was uh, like the dry cherry, cherry with, with spirit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, in Chianti, at least the high hills of Chianti, you never get the, the, the prunes and plums, uh, which uh, Sangiovese shows closer to the coast. It's always a, the bright acidity. On the palate, yeah. really lively. It's 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 not it's not super fruity. The nose leads you to believe that there's a good, good amount of fruit here, but that that acidity balances the fruit so nicely and adds a really pretty complexity to the wine. It is really a food wine. Well, in the noble way, but the classical, the anti-classical. This this acidity. Is not the wine you really would choose uh, to have it's a glass of wine. Glass up, right? uh, but then when it comes with food, uh, the food calls for more wine, the wine calls for more food. Uh, and, uh, is this, a wine with, this wine with uh, um, Bistecca Fiorentina. Yeah. I could see you know, cut through that fattiness. Uh, yeah, yes. Maybe it's not the best match, but I'm so happy when I have it with wild boar. Oh, Cingale, yeah? Cingale. But that's a sense of revenge because... Uh, <laughs> you ruin your vineyards. Yes. Uh, you ruin my vineyards, I eat your steak. <laughs> wow, yeah, this is really lovely wine. As you wine. see, we, we had to thanks uh, all the vineyards. Every vineyard is thanks. So we tried to make it uh, a little uh, hidden. Uh, so that uh, because we love the landscape so much, uh, so we make big, uh, big, big, big plots. Uh, but uh, but we a lot, do, of, we a lot do of tree have line it. for the Cingale to yes, come out of there. Cingale, huh? and now we have the deer, the, the deer, the capriolo, the small deer, but they jump like a happy animal as they 
uh, you know, so, so uh, one... we love nature and this is something, I mean, uh, we are the ones uh, <laughs> which are doing something which is not, right. uh, not natural. natural. Uh, vineyards, wine uh, is working with nature, but they are not natural. Right, right. Uh, no, it's, they, vineyard, nature doesn't make straight lines it of It is vines homemade. And, the wine, the never, uh, nature never makes something that right. straight. Uh, vine is a vine. Right, <laughs> it's right, supposed right. to grow uh, on, the other, the on the other trees. So the old system with the sharecropping economy was much more natural, natural. because the vines were treated as a vine. Right. Uh, um, so, so the fruit for this wine is just... From all over the estate. This is from all over the estate. Um, I do not make uh, a single vineyard. Okay. It is in my long-term plans to make a single vineyard, but I really took the long way. So a single vineyard will probably be for the next generation. But um, uh, I really wanted to understand the soil. In the years, we did all the, 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 the study, digging holes everywhere, and then the genetic, then matching the genetic with the soil, and then only then, and when the vineyards are getting a little older, we will be able to really see the differences between one vineyard and the others. We know where we get the best grapes, but this is Ceparello. So Tell me about the Ceparello. Ceparello is the name of the valley here. So it's so the whole the, valley here. Yeah, the name itself means, look, this is not a single vineyard. This is the best expression of the area. So for this wine, is still, uh, we still use grapes from different vineyards, but for the best site of the vineyard. We really spot a small part of the vineyards where mostly where the clay slate, Mm -hmm. uh, comes to the surface, and where Sangiovese grows so happily. And so, the, the color on this wine is richer, it's more purple. Ceparello is 100% Sangiovese, usually the last grapes okay, we pick, so. we get a more extended macer maceration. So winemaking is quite different. The difference between the wines is uh, the selection of the grapes. Uh, well, of course, the blend, because there's mm -hmm. no canaiolo here, and it is... Uh, Exactly. The, 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 when I make the wine, I think of the use I expect for the wine. So the Chianti, I like to make it as a, has to be complex, has to be rich, but has to be well balanced. So not a, my priority is not the biggest body, but my priority is uh, the balance. So if it is a top vintage, it will be a little heavier. If it is sure. a vintage where if I extract more, we get uh, more uh, rough uh, tannins uh, or bitterness. I stay very light-handed in winemaking. There, there's a when, pronounced minerality on the nose, yeah, too, that kind of yeah. dusty, hot rock minerality. This one really extracts more from, from, from the terroir, uh, mm. being a single variety and also because uh, it's the latest grapes, so the roots have taken more. And from the soil, it really gets more. Very mineral. elegant fruit. Mm. Um, the acidity is not so aggressive like the Chianti Classico. It's a little more, it's balanced more. And the tannins are very fine, but present, but uh, not aggressive a lot of all. tannins, so the aging potential of this wine this in good 20, vintage is 20, years. 30 years, for sure. I really love a vintage like 16. A lot of light, some rain in the summer, not too hot. And the ability to harvest later was very cold nights in September, hence the acidity of the, of the vintage Chianti. And, and what's our last wine we have? 
The last one uh, is uh, the new classification that, uh, which has been created in 2014, Gran Selezione. I had to put it in place and uh, very briefly I, I, was, I did not embrace the project uh, at first because uh, my point was not against it, but um, I think uh, we are now talking about the subzones. I, I would have loved uh, this, the Gran Selezione coming together with the subzones ah, to communicate the new appellation Chianti Classico. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, dripping information is difficult. Uh, one uh, big uh, uh, introduction of the new appellation. Now we have the vineyards, now Chianti is uh, adult, uh, right. and we restructure the appellation with uh, Gran Selezione and uh, with the subzones. This was my point. So it was not a big war, but uh, uh, um, I, I, I thought I, I wait. Okay. And then uh, I had a wine made in 2006 okay. for my family. As I said, my father bought his already in 1956, so it was the anniversary, anniversary of 50, sure. 50 years. And I make wine here since the 76. 76. So that wine was a kind of 50-30. So I bottled for the family a number, a small number of bottles. And it was a wine which uh, I thought uh, a wine to represent uh, my history here and to have it uh, as a, as a wine for the family, for the, for the reunion. Uh, So actually, I'm the fifth or sixth brothers and sisters, and I made uh, 1,800 bottles of, uh, of 2006. Mm-hmm. It's 300 bottles by six. 300 bottles is what we get from one barrel. So oh, the so idea was one barrel. The idea was one barrel per sibling. Oh, one barrel. So 300, 300, 300 by six is 1,800. And then I bottled the number of Magnum, which uh, The idea was the wine sure. uh, when we have the reunion, right, weddings, right. Uh, other things less happy, but where we always finish at the table. Mm-hmm. And uh, having a wine, uh, a kind of uh, thank you to my father about the estate. But uh, in, in this wine, I selected, in the 2006, I selected the best bells of uh, Ceparello. And then uh, uh, i have wines uh, which I'm not showing today, which are the 80s, uh, sure, when we sure. were trying a lot of things in order to solve the problem. When uh, most producers started with Bordeaux varieties, mm-hmm. I was looking for a variety which I could use to blend without overwhelming Sangiovese, but really integrating with it, and I planted Syrah. I was the first one to plant Syrah. Syrah, okay. And, uh, um, In the 80s, early 90s, I was using uh, quite a lot of Syrah in the Chianti Classico blend because uh, I was making Ceparello. When you have difficult conditions and you select the best, uh, it's like making butter out of milk. Right. What, what remains is the skin milk. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I needed to help this wine uh, and the, when I was replanting the vineyards. And, I, and Syrah did a very good job. And then I started to bottle Syrah pure. Oh. And we have a pure Syrah. Okay. We have a small amount of pure Syrah because I have it in the vineyard. So in this wine in 2006, I added a little bit of Syrah because this wine had to represent my history. Sure. And then my history is also the time of the Super Tuscans. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, it is time that most of the Super Tuscans should come back in the appellation. Yeah, yeah. There are many Super Tuscans 
even Ceparello uh, was a kind of, with, together with a few other wines, 100% Sangiovese, were super Tuscans because they could not be in the appellation. Right. But it is time for when things will be completely settled. This time should, these wines should be within the appellation. Anyhow, um, in that wine, uh, I said, okay, my time is the super Tuscan. Is it possible to make a super Tuscan which is uh, a Chianti Classico? Meaning uh, not any legal things, uh, but uh, of Super Tuscans uh, are beautiful wines, but to my palate, as you see from my wine, often over-extracted, yeah. too big. The goal is power. My goal is never power. So uh, um, Super Tuscan with less extraction and less new oak to respect uh, Chianti in its uh, beauty of freshness and uh, uh, elegant uh, wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, So this wine has... Has a, it, it, the vintage variation is a little different. I'm getting more of a dried fruit, a little maybe it was a little hotter year. Um, um, both a little hotter year, but um, and it's uh, it's a Sangiovese with a little little touch of uh, the other varieties sure, of the Super sure. Tuscan, but uh, a blend of them. So no one which dominates. Sangiovese is beautiful in its uh, structure, yeah. but it could be peaks and valleys sure, sometimes. Sure. So the idea behind this line is let us put small things to see if I built uh, the blend not to improve a wine, what it was at the beginning, but a blend to, for complexity, for balance. But it's an experiment. We make only three, two or 3,000 bottles sure. of this wine. Well, Paolo, thank you so much for having us today. Kisaleo uh, Elena is a, a special place making special wines. It was wonderful to be able to visit you here and taste them. Thank you so much. Thank you, Doug. Thank you so much. For John's tasting notes on the wines from this episode, go to www.thehonestpourpod.com. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to The Honest Pour with John Lennart at iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Store. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at The Honest Poor with John Lennart and follow us on Twitter at The Honest Poor. This has been The Honest Poor with John Lennart. Music by Kevin McLeod.